Welcome to Tuesday Cafe. I'm Sean Canaan, and we're broadcasting live on May 23rd from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. The Florida legislature wrapped up its regular session this month. In this hour, we're going to look back at bills they passed and bills they didn't. We'll hear from three state legislators from the Tampa Bay area who described the session using phrases like culture wars, worst session, and the Incredible Hulk Ride. They spoke Friday at Tampa Tiger Bay Club. We're going to hear from three Democrats, Senator Daryl Rousson, who represents parts of Pinellas and Hillsborough counties, and from Representatives Diane Hart and Susan Valdez. Both of them are from Tampa. All members who represent Hillsborough County were invited, but two Republicans, Senator Jay Collins and Representative Karen Pittman, canceled the day before the event. And I'd like to hear from you. What were the bills that passed that caught your eye? Or what do you think legislators should have focused more on? The best way to reach out today is by text or by email. You can email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So let's start by hearing from the three legislators summarizing what they thought of the session. We'll hear first from Daryl Roussan, Senator Daryl Roussan, then from Representative Diane Hart, and then from Representative Susan Valdez. You're listening to WMNF in Tampa. This was a tough session in terms of culture wars, but whenever you, you're handed a deck of lemons, you have to make lemonade out of it. And I think that I had a very good session. Uh, I was able to submit six bills through both chambers, and that are now awaiting the governor's signature. That's more than any other Democratic senator. And I was pleased to serve as vice chair of the Appropriations Committee in the Senate. As you know, no Democrat has held that position for the past 20 years. And that gave me opportunity to help influence the carving up of this $117 billion budget. And one of the appropriations you're enjoying right now, we got $2.5 million to finish the renovations here at the Cuban Club. So there's lots of bad stuff to talk about uh, from session, but there are many good things to talk about too. And I'll be glad to answer some of your questions when we get to that point. I'll let my colleagues take over from here. And by the way, these two ladies up here, they're fighters. And I would... I enjoyed serving with them and watching them grow in this process. Good afternoon. I'm State Representative Diane Hart from House District 63. You are in my district right now. I am very happy to have you here in my district. When I think about what was Tallahassee for me this year, I've been in the legislature for the past five years. This was my worst session. And I say my worst session because there was just so much disrespect, lack of humanity in many instances. But I can't say it was all bad. I passed a bill with my senator sitting next to me. We're waiting for it to be signed by the governor. But if you had to sit every single day for more than 60 days, because I believe we had three special sessions. So we spent a lot of time in Tallahassee this year. 
And I too had to take those lemons and make lemonade. And I'm looking forward to talking about some of the good things that did come out of some of my committees. I sit on Ways and Means for the past five years and I got to see some really good things come out of the tax packet, mixed with some bad things, but hey, we have to take them both. And they're even our housing bill. And I'm looking forward to talking about some of our pieces of legislation. But thank you all for having me today. And I'm happy to be here. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Susan Valdez, proudly representing District 64, which encompasses West Tampa, Town and Country, uh, Lincoln Garden, uh, Plantation. Well, just think about Midtown, too, but it's still West Tampa, I say, you know. Um, well, the only way I can really describe session, how many of you have ridden the Incredible Hulk ride at Universal Studios? All right, so remember when you're going up and you got, uh, and you're strapped in and then all of a sudden you hear, okay, now you, got the, now you get the impression. It was a very fast session. These 60 days have been um, really, truly a roller coaster. You didn't really know what bill was going to pop up in committee in the first thing in the morning, especially towards the end where the time frame really shortens. And think about going to a meeting and a bill that has not been heard or vetted is right there on your table ready to vote on in a committee. So I wanted to thank my staff, which are here today. Um, Allison Kuhn is my legislative aide and Sarah Foster is my district aide. And I have to tell you that I couldn't have done it without them because in a heartbeat, hey, hurry up, read these bills together, give me some pointers, what's happening because it's going so fast. Um, I too, although it was a very fast session um, and putting all kidding aside, there were many times on the floor where it just seemed that we were just totally defeated. Um, there was 35 Democrats to 84 uh, Republicans. So just think about, and in the, in the Senate, it's 28 Republicans to 12 uh, Democrats. So needless to say, for us to get anything done, you know, we, we really had to work hard to get those things done because they quite frankly did not need our votes to get anything done. Does that make sense? You know, we were in the super minority and, and that really uh, takes away from being able to have some sort of balance of government, which is I think that most of us in this room really do appreciate is when we have that yin and that yang and it's okay to disagree um, and at the end, come out with a good policy. So it, uh, all kidding aside, it was a very fast um, paced session, as well as um, just, you know, that, that feeling of, wow, here we go again, let's go at it again on day 13 and then day 14. You got defeated on day 13, but guess what? We got our boots back on and let's go at it again. So I, it was quite interesting, and in my five years as well, this has been the toughest and the fastest session that I have experienced. My only message to you all is that not voting has consequences.
Well, that was State Representative Susan Valdez, and before her, we heard Representative Diane Hart and Senator Daryl Roussan. This is Tuesday Cafe. We're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. I'm Sean Canan. We're reviewing the 2023 Florida legislative session. Those three legislators spoke on Friday at the Tampa Tiger Bay Club, which, as you heard, was located in the Cuban Club Ballroom. For those of you who are at Heatwave, you're familiar with the Cuban Club Ballroom. So, and that's in Ybor City. So next we'll hear two questions about the Hillsborough County transit tax that was overturned and also about property insurance. This is WMNF Tampa. I'm Ron Weaver and my question has to do with the $562 million that 57% of our voters voted to please put to Hillsborough County transportation, roads and transit. How is it that the house could pass a bill Instead, to give a tax holiday, 57% of the voters of Hillsborough County did not vote for a tax holiday or a tax refund. They voted for desperately, urgently needed roads for safety and to get around. Why don't we have that $562 million that's our money back to Tampa and Hillsborough County for the roads that 57% of the people voted for? The, The answer to that question is very simple. The House could not agree with the Senate in terms of how to refund it, return it, or spend it. But Hillsborough County has made it known, and if you go back and play the tapes, I asked Senator Blaise Angolia on the floor of the Senate when he was introducing the area of the budget, what happens with the Hillsborough tax money? And his response was, well, we couldn't come to agreement, so we're kicking the can down the road. I'm going to be all on top of that uh, for next session, but it's a shame that the House could not agree with the Senate and the Senate could not agree with the House. And to add to that, the other aspect of it was the, what I was, um, the information that I was given on the floor was that there was also concerns from the business community back home wanting to see rather than those tax holidays for the dollars to go back into infrastructure. So that's, that was part of the conversation. So the chairman of the Ways and Means uh, Committee is uh, Stan McLean, and we had that conversation, and we're going to see about doing something about it next session. But this money needs to come back to our taxpayers one way or the other. And you might know that we've set aside $7 million in the event that we have some lawsuits that pop up to be able to, do we fight you all (laughs) or to fight whomever bring those lawsuits forward? So we'll all be looking at it and watching it for next session. I'm uh, Patrick Basquette. So first, are there any other homeowners here today who owns a house here today? Okay, so my question is simple. How does running the state's largest employer out of Florida help us with our homeowners insurance crisis? I'm happy to say that it does not help us at all. How does having three special sessions to deal with insurance help us when we come away from the table empty handed? I think this fight with the mouse is just really really way over the top. And, you know, honestly, I'd like to just say that we fought as hard as we could with so many amendments until it was nauseating. 
to try and make insurance a priority for homeowners and to get something put into legislation that would help you all. We're all feeling it as well, all of us are feeling it as well. But for some ungodly reason, insurance companies have a lot of money and people normally don't. So they came to Tallahassee with shiploads of dollars to convince our legislators that there was no real crisis in insurance. They say there is, and they say we're giving these billions to reinsure our insurance companies and make sure we prop them up so that they don't all leave and every, nobody has insurance. But at the end of the day, we have to face the real truth. I have to say, we're just being bought out by the big boys. And we really could have done a lot better. One question I asked them on the House floor was, well, at what point will my constituents feel some relief? Well, maybe 18 to 24 months, Rep, we're really not sure. What kind of answer is that for 22 million people in a state that you don't know, but you're sitting up here creating all of these bad policies? So that's where I was with insurance. Well, the leadership thought it was more important to make guns accessible than to deal with property insurance. In fact, that's an example of how I made lemonade out of a lemon. When the senator introduced the gun legislation that would allow permitless carry, Senator Chevron Jones and members of the Democratic caucus debated that they wanted the creation of a task force to study the incidents of gun violence in communities that are challenged and to come up with solutions. They wouldn't take that amendment, but word came to me that they would like to fund my community anti-violence bill that would put money on the streets with programs that are working in terms of prevention and anti-violence from domestic violence to gun violence. And I said, yeah, well, I'd be willing to do it. What are you willing to put into it? They said, five million. I said, well, I'll do it for 10 million. And I was the only senator, Republican or Democrat, allowed to make a floor amendment to the budget that funded the Community Anti-Violence Grant Program. So while we could not defeat the gun legislation, we at least blunted it. I believe what we have seen is that we continue to bail out the insurance companies to the tune of, I believe, in the last two sessions, uh, legislative sessions, been three billion. Was just one session, at a minimum three billion, that we have bailed out the insurance companies, and still and all. Homelessness has been an issue. Now I want you all to think about the senior citizens that have been Floridians for a long time here in Tampa, that maybe they have their house paid for and on a fixed income, but then now they have a whack-a-mole insurance uh, bill as well as their taxes. Think about how it's affecting them and, and the homelessness that we're creating among senior citizens, especially those that are, that are ill as well. My heart goes out to them. We, we can do better. We can do better. Everybody can, could have a win-win situation. We just need to have some balance and some, some uh, meaningful legislation with some thought about all Floridians. 
Well, that was State Representative Susan Valdez. Before her, we heard Representative Diane Hart and Senator Daryl Roussan. This is Tuesday Cafe. We're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. I'm Sean Canan. We're reviewing the 2023 Florida legislative session. A lot of Floridians are in danger of getting kicked off of Medicaid. So next up, we're going to hear all three of their responses to a question about Medicaid on WMNF Tampa Tuesday Cafe. With the end of the public health emergency, it's estimated that roughly 1.75 million Floridians will be without health insurance. What is the justification of our legislature to not expand Medicaid? And do you know what the maximum amount a family of three can earn to qualify for Medicaid? And one other question, when we have billions in reserve, Why are our children with disabilities and seniors on waiting lists, not for months or weeks or years, but decades? What is the justification for harming our most vulnerable citizens? You're asking us (laughs) to justify (laughs) their behavior (laughs) for not expanding Medicaid and for not helping our seniors and our individuals with disabilities. The same argument they've been making for years, and that is it's a fight with the federal government. Even though 34% of our entire budget is funded through federal dollars. Let me just say this to you. My niece, who has autism, was on that waiver wait list for more than 14 years. So I know exactly what you're saying, but there is no justification. What we did was we preferred to put 300,000 per individual to be in a secure facility as opposed to taking those dollars and putting it into the wait list and getting people off of that waiver wait list. So there's no real justification because they can. That is so true. Um, again, I, I remember the numbers in the House, 84 Republican, well now 85 because they just had the, the other special election. So next session we will have a full cabinet, a, a full legislature, 85 Republicans to 35 Democrats. In the Senate, 28 Republicans to 12. So absolutely, I just, I think that they know that they have the numbers. The fight with the federal government is evident. You all see it. But even with all that said, I'm going to share a little hope, just maybe a little bit. House Bill 121 passed both the House and the Senate and was waiting approval by the governor. And I believe he signed that bill. And this particular bill will expand the eligibility for state's children's health insurance program commonly known as Kid Care, Florida Kid Care. The bill will allow families that earn up to 300% of the federal poverty level to qualify for the program. Also House Bill 19, Representative Tant's bill, was another bill that I supported that will attempt to alleviate some of the wait lists for those um, children that need to have um, the ABA assistance, the, the, um, 
the counselor's assistance and remove them from the wait list. So little things did happen, but it's not, in my opinion, enough to alleviate the actual need that exists. Thank you for the question. Well, that was State Representative Susan Valdez. Before her, we heard Representative Diane Hart and Senator Daryl Roussan. This is Tuesday Cafe. We're coming to you from WMNF in Tampa. I'm Sean Canan, and we're reviewing the 2023 Florida legislative session. I'd like to hear from you. What are the bills that passed that caught your eye, or what do you think about that legislators should be more focused on? The best way to reach out is by text, 813-433-0885, or you can email dj at wmnf.org. Or what do you think about how these senators and representatives are responding? So we're going to hear next about a couple of questions about people fleeing Florida based on some of these new laws and also about agriculture in Florida. So this is Tuesday Cafe coming to you from WMNF in Tampa. I have customers of mine that are now telling me to put their house up for sale because they're leaving Florida because in one case they adopted a three-year-old baby three years ago. They're now trying to teach that child good words, bad words, and they're very uncomfortable with the fact that it's being implied that saying they have two daddies is a bad word. My husband is terrified about the the gun situation and is talking about us leaving the state. I have customers who have had to drop and go without homeowner's insurance. Thankfully, they own their house outright because they can't afford it. This is feeling very dystopian. Can you, and by the way, Senator, you are my Senator and Representative Hart, you are my representative. So thank you for the good fight. But can you give us some hope for what to look forward to? Because it's feeling very depressing. I have to be perfectly honest with you. We're going back to Tallahassee with the same legislature that we just left. In all honesty, I don't know where the hope is. My hope is that you all as constituents and the people that I speak to every Saturday morning on my Facebook Live will call the legislators, that you all will write letters to the legislators and ask them to please do something about the issues. But you all understand that we have a governor that's getting ready to run for president. And many of these wars are his personal wars. And what I see in Tallahassee, you walk in lockstep. And if you fail to walk in lockstep, you will not be in a position of authority. Your legislation will be just like mine. It will not get passed. So in all honesty, until we flip something or get a little bit closer to having some equality in that House and Senate, I wish I could tell you I have a lot of hope. The hope is that the mouse will turn into a rat (laughs) and bite somebody. That's a good one. (laughs) The hope is in continuing to get battles won on the periphery if we can't win them on the floor through the debate. The hope is in what Representative Hart said, continuing to encourage you to register to vote and then vote. The hope is that we can't give up. The hope is that the pendulum does swing back. 
and we must continue to fight. This is May, it's also Mental Health Awareness Month. And I understand that mental health is at an all-time crisis, not only in this state, but in this nation. From children, from books, from violence, from addiction. And by the way, I was able to influence the spending of $205 million from the opioid settlement litigation money that will help people access treatment, improve the quality of treatment, and, and create more support programs after recovery. And I think that's significant. Howdy all, Jason Marlowe. Uh, so listen, agriculture is like one third of the state's GDP. We have a story coming out just the other day, citrus harvest looking at under 20 million. It's the lowest harvest since 1934, 1935. I don't think anybody in this room was even alive for that. Like, what are we doing to actually address, you know, oranges don't care if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, but they do provide a lot of decent blue collar jobs and white collar jobs across the state. So I would ask, what are we doing on that front? Though I know it's not a Hillsborough issue, it certainly affects our neighbors to the east in Polk. So I wanted to hear, what are we doing on that front, if any? Because again, that's, not, that's bipartisan. That's money in our pocket. That's the international symbol of our state. So what are we doing with citrus? We're creating more dollars to do more investment with IFAS and the other agricultural programs in universities around this state. I had the pleasure under President Simpson of serving as the chairman of the Agriculture Committee in the Senate. And one of the big battles we did was to increase access to new research uh, for the greening that was happening with citrus industry. We're going to continue along those lines. Senator Jay Collins is now chair of agriculture, and I've challenged him to work with me. Hillsborough, 40 percent of the land mass in Hillsborough is agriculture or agriculture related, over 174,000 jobs. So agriculture is very important, and we're watching it. That was State Senator Daryl Roussan. We also heard from Representative Diane Hart. This is Tuesday Cafe. We're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF in Tampa. I'm Sean Canan, and we're reviewing the 2023 Florida legislative session. And in a few minutes, I'm going to open up the phone lines to see what you think about these responses and what, you've, what your opinion is of the Florida legislative session. If you'd like to get in the queue right now, you can give us a call at 813 813- Two three nine nine six six three. Anytime you can email us at dj at wmnf.org or you can text 813-433-0885. Well, here are those three representatives and senators about their responses to a question that's about the process of passing bills in the most recent legislative session. I'm former commissioner, county commissioner, Kimberly Overman. Thank you for the work that you do. Um, it's an absolutely thankless job. But I want to ask, this last session, as you said, was very different than prior sessions. Very little work was done at the committee level. It was all done, like, in amendments at the end of the deal. And what it sounds like is they were just a ton of bad bills that weren't willing to stand up to DeSantis's culture war issue because they would have to be discussed in committee and might not ever make the floor. So... What is the minority delegation going to do to bring fixes for what we broke this session next come around 
and make sure that voters and residents and businesses are aware of what the delegation is bringing to the table before it ever ends up being on a floor when the majority will overrule it. It's really critically important that voters actually understand, but session is really complicated and they can't sit there all day and watching it. But if we're able to tell the story of the bills that could be addressed in committee, can we make a difference next session? Well, it's going to be difficult while the numbers remain what they are because we're outnumbered at every committee. This is the first session that I've experienced where so many bills went through with only two committee stops instead of the normal three, sometimes four committees. So a bill really gets vetted when you have more committee stops. And the public's m made more aware with the more committee stops to have the opportunity to come up. So it's, I'm, I'm expecting another difficult session. We go back October 9th for two weeks in October, two weeks November, one week December. Session starts early next year in January. So the time now is now to be engaged. And we have to keep up the fight. I mean, I, don't, I can't say this enough. We can't afford to give up. We can't afford to sit back and wait for somebody else to do it. We are the ones we've been waiting for. And you are the ones who need to support us. Let me just, let me just say this on the heels of what the senator has said. Um, Cindy Stewart has heard me say time and time again, everywhere I've been, don't come to Tallahassee during legislative session. And I don't mean it literally. Come if you like. Come to Tallahassee during committee weeks. Come while we're baking this cake. Because, and, and actually, we have our first week in September. It's already on my calendar. September 18th. So we will be in Tallahassee beginning in September. But what people have got to understand, and, and, and Commissioner, I hear what you're saying. I don't know how much plainer we can make it. There's only 35 of us to carry this torch. And every single one of us in our districts are talking and speaking as loud as we possibly can. But not only can we have legislators speaking, we need all of our elected officials speaking and all of the individuals in this room that know what's happening to be talking to your friends and your relatives. So we can't do it by ourselves. We're going back with the same people we left there in May. And if we don't have a special session, I'm told we may have one creep up on us, we don't know. There's nothing more we can do but stay in this fight. I encourage people to watch what's happening in Tallahassee. I know you can't watch all day, but you can pick up snippets of what's going on in your particular field of interest, whatever that might be. So then you can go out and tell other people what's really going on. But it's going to be a battle, but we're up to it. I mean, you've never seen not a single one of us back up from a good fight. <laughs> Unfortunately, we may not win them all, but we do get our points across. And sometimes it's been amazing to see you make somebody, well, you don't make them, but see them change their minds because of a debate. So that's the best I have. Not voting has consequences, my friends. Not voting has consequences. If you look at the city elections, the runoff, only 10% of the people that live in the city made 100% of the decisions for the residents that preside in the city. 
the moment we get apathetic to the work and we don't pay attention to what's happening, that's when we begin to go the other way. So I also, to add to what my, my friends and colleagues here said, if you all have an organization, invite us to come talk to y'all, to talk to people. I, I had a town hall meeting on SB 1718, which is the anti-immigration bill. People are afraid. People are afraid. They don't know the ramifications. Everything went by so fast that it's so difficult to even recap. Um, that's why I have all these notes because so much happened during session. And 60 days goes by fast. Six weeks of committee weeks go by faster because they're not consecutively, right? So talk to us now. Give us your ideas. Give us some solutions about what it is that we can maybe create a bill on and, and, and try and move some of these things. I think that that's the best we can do with the numbers that we have. Think about this. For the last, what, 20 plus years, it's been a Republican House, a Republican Governor, and a Republican Senate. So the balance has not been there to have that real good conversation about what is best for Floridians. That was State Representative Susan Valdez. And before her, we heard Representative Diane Hart and Senator Daryl Roussan. This is Tuesday Cafe. We're broadcasting from WMNF in Tampa. I'm Sean Canan. We're reviewing the 2023 Florida legislative session. And I want to hear what you think. We have uh, somebody on the line, but we're going to hold off on that for just a second. We'll, we'll get to you in just a bit. If you want to weigh in right now, you can email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. First, we're going to hear how those three responded to a question about one of the topics that was in the previous hour on Democracy Now! This is a question about Florida's new immigration law. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe coming to you from WMNF. I'm Doris Weatherford, and I would like to ask Representative Valdez to on the immigration bill to give the same analogy that you gave at the Hillsborough Society uh, to bring home the reality of this bill? Thank you very much, Doris. And, and this bill is, now it changed from its original uh, version of it. When the bill first came out, there was actual verbiage from the Fugitive Slave Act of 1850, which in the original bill, um, if you were to harbor or transport someone that was undocumented, you could be held liable as a felon, okay? So um, we did a, a, a talk show, uh, Rob Lori on Florida This Week, and I was um, a panelist alongside uh, Senator Angolia, which was the bill sponsor, and at that show, I called out the 1850 Fugitive Slave Act, and when the bill came up to the floor, that verbiage was gone. So um, at least we cleaned it up a little bit. But that particular bill is, is excruciatingly dangerous, specifically for uh, the employers especially. 
um, with with e-verify you have to e-verify we all know that the e-verify system is is not very reliable so i don't know what the what procedures will be promulgated by the secretary and their staff of the enforcement of this particular bill um but the 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 the, the biggest part of this bill is any individual that leaves the state of florida let's say you go on vacation to six flags or you know you cross the line and you come back and you happen to be undocumented and if you're stopped that individual might have his family or her family with her or him and if they're undocumented they could be charged for human smuggling or even if they're documented and you're with your family and you have some folks amongst you that are undocumented that legal person can be charged with a felony and even more so human smuggling and if you have an underage child that could be your biological child that's kid trafficking that's even worse right so many folks already in the agriculture business has left the florida so i don't know what's going to happen to our tomatoes our lemons our strawberries we're going to be paying probably a lot more for the fruit because who's going to pick them up who's going to do that work when they're gone. Now, I hope that these individuals that left the, the, the state understand that if they do come in, if they do come back without the documentation, they happen to get stopped. Not only will their family here is going to suffer, but their family from wherever it is that they're from is going to suffer as well. This is the most cruelest piece of legislation um, that I've ever seen, really and truly with the penalties. Um, and besides, we're state government. State government should not be involved in federal issues at all. We have plenty of things to take care of here in our state for our Floridians that it's everyday stuff that we're dealing with. When you have a bill, that bill had an appropriation of $12 million. $12 million of our taxpayer dollars to, to, to humanly transport people from other states to other states. That's our money. But yet we're using it in other places. What could $12 million do for everyday Floridians, my friends? Think about, think about what we can do, all the good that we can use with those $12 million. That's why I say that this is about the cruelest piece of legislation that I've, that I've ever seen um, go through the House. And um, I don't know how else to speculate or what else to say about that bill because it's all going to depend on how these procedures are promulgated and how it is that this particular law is going to be enforced. 
Is the state guard that we just voted on, that I voted no for, going to be the ones having a checkpoint at every entry of the Alabama line to Georgia? I, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. You know, let's see what, uh, what that has, uh, what, what the procedures are going to be and how it is that this law is going to be enforced. A very scary time. I don't know whether when I go to the bathroom there's going to be a potty policeman in there to check my gender. But these are the kinds of bills that came through the legislature this year. That was State Senator Daryl Roussan. We also heard from Representative Susan Valdez. They are talking about a couple of bills, but mainly about the immigration bill that was discussed last hour on Democracy Now! as well. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe. We're broadcasting from the studios of WMNF Tampa. I'm Sean Canaan, and we're reviewing the 2023 Florida legislative session. We got a text from the 727 area code rhetorically asking, how will this law affect people fleeing a hurricane and then returning? Will it mean that people are less likely to escape from hurricanes if they know that they're putting themselves in danger when they re-enter the state of Florida? So very good question out there from the 727 area code. And we also have a phone call right now talking about one of the earlier statements. So Leela from Brandon, what's on your mind? Um, Just a comment. Uh Senator Daryl Ralston talked about the money coming from the drug epidemic. And the, um, I guess Susan Valdez was talking about the $12.5 million spent on uh, um, exporting uh, people from, you know, the cost of travel expenses. My thought is, is that $12.5 million could easily be spent in doing two different things that we need desperately in Hillsborough County. We need a back-to-work initiative for our felons coming out of prison, and we need a homeless shelter for the many homeless that are now homeless because of our um, higher rents. Um, there are, and the drug money that could be requested, and I think the perfect location would be between the two prisons, between Orient Jail and the Falkenberg Jail, because there's lots of land mass there that is owned by the county already. But a five-acre um, back-to-work initiative for re-entry for our felons, and a five-acre homeless shelter for our homeless that are currently homeless. I presented both of those plans to the county commission, both in 2010 and then again in 2012 with Hillsborough Cares. I I did not want a tent city to go in that area, but I thought tiny houses would be a better fit, and we originally looked at Hillsborough and Harney Road. So, you know, there's a lot of things. We're spending $25 million on a library in Brandon that's very unnecessary. We have a beautiful library and nobody's standing up to our local government. And I, um, I understand the commissioner was on the phone earlier and I think she voted for this library. And we really need shelters instead of a library. Uh, NPR just had a telecast about the ebooks and how they outweigh the number of books coming in uh, the library. We don't have books, we have ebooks. So we don't need as much space for a huge library. We already have one. We need shelters and we need re-entry programs for our felons. And I also serve on Hearn and that's what my attempt to do is going to do a field trip to both Dorian Jail and the Falkenberg Jail to see what's available on re-entry jobs that they have currently and to try to establish the need for as they come out of prison, they need a three-month sabbatical transition. And why not let Hillsborough County provide the mentorships and the jobs that they can go into and end this number one recidivism that we have in Hillsborough County? 
Thank you. Thanks so much, Lila. Thanks for those comments. And we're going to talk about housing in just a moment. But I want to remind people that we're listening to Tuesday Cafe on WMNF. Randy in Palm Harbor writes in and says, if our friend in Tallahassee, Ron, flies people to Maine, I think he means um, uh, Massachusetts there, is he guilty of this new law? So that's a question out there from Randy in Palm Harbor. Well, we are listening to uh, the review of the 2023 Florida legislative session, and we're getting your thoughts as well. So in this question, the three legislators who are Daryl Rousson, Senator from St. Petersburg, who also represents parts of Hillsborough, and Tampa representatives Diane Hart and Susan Valdez, they were asked about Florida's affordable housing crisis, and here is their response. My name is Nathan Hagan. I was disappointed in both parties' platforms on housing during the last election cycle, and again, I was disappointed with Republicans' milk-toast bill at SB 102. Um, meanwhile, states like red and blue states, from Montana to California to Washington, Arizona, Colorado, New York, all had really, really big conversations this year about housing reform and land use reform for more affordable housing. What were the top wish list items that you wanted? What was the delegation or caucus pushing forward that we did not get? Um, and when are we going to see more substantive conversation, even if we don't get those things, on really big housing legislation like we're seeing in other states? This was the largest housing bill to ever come through the legislature. In my five years there, we have swept more than $13 billion from our housing trust fund, from the Sadowski Housing Trust Fund. So much so that they wanted, they teased me on the House floor that they should name it the Heart Fund. That's how much I aggravated and chased my Republican colleagues. Now, was I happy with the tax package? I was happy with the $722 million. I was not happy with us preempting local government and their ability to deal with the people right here on the ground. I spoke to that every opportunity I got to inform them that yes, this is a good housing bill when it comes to the dollar amount of money that you're gonna put into play for people who need their homes rehabbed, for people who need a down payment assistance, for the apartments to be built, for homes to be built, for the $100 million that they gave to our first, uh, first responders. All of those were wonderful things in the, in the housing bill things that we've been looking for for many years, the ability not to sweep the Sadowski Housing Trust Fund. But when you talk about taking away your rights and mine to have a bill of rights for tenants, that was not a good thing. When you talk about preempting local government and stopping them from being able to put forth any form, any form of stopping people from raising the rents from 200 to 600 a month. You know, we... We preempted that from the local government. So for me, we will continue to have that conversation, but you all who know the bill knows that it's a 10-year bill. However, I've been told, remember, one set of legislators don't preempt the next set from doing something slightly different. Senator, I'm not sure if it could be changed if a new senator or Senate president came in could they take away what Pasadoma has put into this bill for the next 10 years? I'm not sure. Well, of course, that can always happen. 
But like Representative Hart said, I was proud of the fact that I was the only Democratic senator in the Senate allowed to co-introduce Senate Bill 102. And I did that because of the huge gains, the historic spending, the cracking the door open and trying to make things more affordable. I didn't agree with the preemption position, but if there are 10 good things and one bad thing in a bill, should you not support it? I supported that bill as well because of the increase of the funding that it was going to bring to, to affordable housing. Now, the only thing is, is that the debate that we were having is that let the market take care of itself. It's like, but in the meantime, I have people in my district that the market is having no mercy on them. And that, that has been the most challenging situation that we're facing. I, my staff has, has worked diligently to try and get a disabled veteran a housing voucher for now almost close to a year. We have senior citizens that can't afford to pay their, their taxes and insurance and they're about to lose their home. We have young single moms with children living in cars. For crying out loud, I have teachers living in cars in my district. There are teachers. This is, there's a difference between real and reality. And until our colleagues get to walk a day or two in our districts and see what is truly happening, maybe we can change hearts. But in the meantime, let the market take care of it is what we're told. You also asked, what were the things that we passed and what were the wish lists that we had? I'm gonna quickly run them through, okay? The bills we passed, Senate Bill 300, six-week abortion ban, House Bill 543, permitless carry, Senate Bill 1718, the large cruel anti-immigrant bill that will affect Florida's economy to the tune of billions of dollars. Senate Bill 750, elections bills that make it harder to cast a ballot in a safe, secure election, and it also allows the governor to run for office without resigning. Senate Bill 1403, legalizes medical discrimination by healthcare providers and insurance companies. Senate Bill 266, an anti-DEI or diversity, equity, inclusion, higher education, limits academic freedom to only government approved information. Senate Bill 256, a union busting bill. House Bill 1069, the don't, gay, don't say gay 2.0, bans the use of pronouns, takes away parental rights and makes Florida book ban a problem even worse. Senate Bill 1438 and House Bill 1521. These are the anti-drag show bill and the anti-trans bathroom uh, bill. 254, ban on transgender care for minors. For minors yes. There were so many bad bills. You can't even begin to keep up with all of them. And I do have to say there were a few good. The bills that were not heard, that were not heard, that were promoted by our caucus was HB 1477, a bill that focused on home insurance industry to increase competition and lower premiums. 
House Bill 1629, which allowed for uh, financial accountability in all publicly funded schools, including private schools, ensuring no dollar spent on education goes to waste. House Bill 1499 provides more autonomy for local governments and incentives for businesses to build affordable housing. House Bill 511 expands Medicaid eligibility to low-income families that make too much to qualify for Medicaid, but too little to afford the Affordable Care Act. House Bill 1283 creates the Small Business Investment Corporation, a nonprofit that provides capital at reduced rates to startup businesses in Florida. House Bill 1513, this was responsible gun ownership bill requiring common sense gun laws reforms such as universal background checks and safe storage laws. These one, two, three, four, five, six bills that I just said, those were not given the time of day. And they were good bills that would help our society be better. That was State Representative Susan Valdez. And before her, we heard Representative Diane Hart and Senator Daryl Roussan. They spoke Friday at Tampa Tiger Bay Club. Two Republicans canceled the day before. Uh, we're, I'm going to read an email from Gary who says, Have you noticed all the new roofs being replaced everywhere because of the insurance companies refusing to insure homes with roofs older than 15 years? Have you also noticed that most of the roofers are Latinos? This immigration law becomes effective in the middle of hurricane season. Who is going to fix Floridians' roofs after the next hurricane, Governor? So that's a question from Gary. And also we have Nibidi on the line from Hillsborough County. Can you make your point in about 20 seconds as we approach the end of the show? Yes, I can. Good afternoon, though. Uh, good afternoon. I hope I am heard. I think the issues that we have here are realizing that the entrenches and the ideas of the establishment, the Democratic and Republican Party, I've done a lot of work, though, to assist the community while utilizing the awful bills in which the men in, which in the state house have going to attempt to become the president, just like Andrew Jackson. So I tell all in my sound of my voice. Stress not, you are not beleaguered and downtrodden, but we must remove those who are entrenched in power, no matter what you are doing. All right, I appreciate those thoughts, and we will uh, hope to hear from you in the future. But right now, I have to wrap up the show. Tuesday Cafe is uh, what you've been listening to, and I want to thank our phone screener, John Dunn. I'm Sean Canan. I'm News and Public Affairs Director at WMNF Tampa, and we will be back next Tuesday at 10 o'clock, and we're going to look back at the... uh, Uh, We'll have a a brand new show next Tuesday at 10. Sorry about that. During this time slot tomorrow, Shelly Reback will host Midpoint at 10 on Wednesday. Coming up next is Wavemakers with Janet and Tom Sherberger. Their guests today will talk about the climate crisis. Susan Glickman is joining them in the studios. You're listening to Tuesday Cafe coming to you live on May 23rd, 2023 from the studios of WMNF Tampa, St. Petersburg, Sarasota, Lakeland. Thanks so much for listening. And thank you to everyone who contributes to keep this station going at WMNF.org. 